to the news magazine on the America Out Loud Network. I'm Alana Friedman, and this is The Friedman Report. My guest today is Rob Schilling. Rob is the Associated Press award-winning host of The Schilling Show on WINA and The Schilling Show Unleashed podcast. You can find him online at shillingshow.com. But today, he's here with me to share some of his thoughts about what is going on in America right now. Rob, I want to talk about something that I find increasingly disturbing. I'm referring to the loss of free speech and the canceling of people who represent the right, the Republicans, the conservatives. In Congress, the Democrats are trying to censure and even remove fellow congressmen, Republicans, of course, who objected to the acceptance of the Electoral College vote in a number of states. It needed to be challenged. But these congressmen are now facing an attack by their own colleagues who want them removed from Congress because they called out the fraud and were exercising their freedom of speech to object to the election results in these states. Rob, we're losing the guarantees of the First Amendment on an almost daily basis. And every day that these rights are weakened, the possibility of bringing them back once they are lost is getting more and more difficult. What are your thoughts on this? Lana, thank you so much for inviting me to join you. And I have been very disturbed by this. It's something I've never seen before, and I've been watching the media for a long time. And I have a feeling that what's going on here is they've been waiting for the right moment, and it finally happened. They've been planning this for a long time. Those on the left who want to silence voices, those who've paid lip service for decades to free speech, but we knew all the time they didn't believe in it, and they just hinted about it. And all of a sudden, the opportunity is here. And the way the opportunity happened for them is that there was a firewall in the White House, and that was President Donald Trump. As soon as the left wing and the left wing media, the Democrats, the socialists, the Marxists, the cultural Marxists, saw that this president no longer had power and he was effectively defanged by the the left-leaning media, and the left-leaning social media, he's not able to communicate right now. Uh, As soon as they saw that was the case, they took advantage of it, and basically it was like a Friday night massacre. So I think that what we're going to be facing here, we've only seen the beginning of. I know as soon as the the unrest in the nation's capital happened on the 6th, uh, there were calls at my radio station to take me off the air because I have been critical of the left. I have been somebody who said that I don't think the elections were conducted in a fair manner. And the people that contacted the radio station did so in a very coordinated way, not that they were working with each other, but that they sent letters in to station management, which were extraordinarily similar as if they'd come off some sort of Democrat talking points website. So this is a coordinated attack. It's begun. We're just seeing the tip of it here because they are uh, fed by their lawlessness, and when they gain power and they see that they're harming people, uh, it turns into a frenzy on their end. I think that's where we're heading. I'm very puzzled uh, by the fact that the left, well, I'm not really puzzled. (laughs) I'm actually just angered by it. Uh, the, The left seems to be unable to deal with the truth. 
they would rather make up their own storyline and then present that as the truth. And it ties up with their ideology, with their sense of what they think the story should be. And then they put it out, and of course they have their allies in the media who rush to support anything they say, and that's the only story that gets out to many Americans. Probably half of the American population doesn't hear anything else. So it's very frustrating for people like us who really want the truth to come out, and we're not able to get it out. It is a problem, and so I want to I bring a case in point here because I was listening to the news all day. The CBS News, uh, national news, comes into the radio station at the top and the bottom of the hour, and I'm listening to this report, and they were saying it in a very, uh, you know, a very authoritative way that people who were attending the um, events and the protests up in D.C. on January 6th had plotted to kidnap, they called the, you used the word abduct, and assassinate Vice President Pence. This was going on all day long. I watched the evening news on Friday night, and I think her name is Nora O'Donnell on the CBS Evening News, in a panicked frenzy as she opened up the report with that exact same story. Those on the right were attempting to abduct and assassinate uh, Vice President Pence. Well, this went on and on for most of the night, and then all of a sudden the story changed. And the story was, now there is no direct confirmation, I think those are the words that they used, that this took place. They were uh, going off on a rail here as if they had the absolute truth. It turns out that they have no confirmation of that. And yet, Ilana, that was broadcast all over the nation over the course of a 12-hour news cycle and on the CBS Evening News. Now, I saw some retractions, but not in the same way. I did not see them retracting it on the CBS Evening News. I didn't see the high-profile retraction. So, you know, they leave the American public, uh, who are ill-informed in some cases, with the impression that the people who were up there had a coordinated attempt to assassinate the vice president of the United States. It's outrageous. It doesn't even make sense. You know, it, it doesn't make sense. Because what they're saying is that the people who support the president and his team were plotting to assassinate the president's right-hand man, the vice president. Where is the logic in that? There is no logic there. Unfortunately, the consumers on the left do not apply a logic filter to the stories they read. And so instead of questioning that and saying, well, why would they, as you just did, they devour that and they use it for their own uh, purposes. And that's what's happened. So they, they use that to declare people like us as dangerous and to classify us in a certain way and ultimately to try to deplatform us. And what's happening in Washington today, we've been watching the buildup of military on the streets of Washington. And I, I think it's, what is it, up to 25,000 troops? Yes. I, it, it's crazy. Do you know how many troops we have in Iraq and in Afghanistan? <laughs> we have 1,500. <laughs> and 1,500 troops in Afghanistan and in Iraq, and we have 25,000 troops on the streets of Washington, D.C. How absurd is that? So I, I think the question is, like, on whose authority? I, I know our governor here in Virginia, Ralph Northam, just a rabid Democrat, uh, sent up a bunch of uh, National Guardsmen there 
Uh, the president certainly didn't request that. So I'm not sure who's coordinating all of this. It's very strange to me. Uh, the president is still the president until uh, the inauguration happens. So I I'm wondering who's in charge in D.C. But you're right. I mean, there's probably going to be more troops than people there because they're shutting down all access to the city. Well, it's interesting. And I think one of the things that we need to look at is the fact that when the Democrats want to expel the Republicans who objected to the Electoral College vote, they're trying to silence them. And this may or may not be covered by the Constitution, which, which says that the Congress shall make no law abridging the right of free speech. Uh, they're not actually making law, but they're talking about nevertheless expelling members of Congress because of what they have said and what they have announced they were in favor of doing. And when you talk about that, that suddenly becomes an abridgment of their freedom of speech. And, and that goes directly to the First Amendment, which says that Congress shall pass no law abridging the right of free speech. Tell me, Rob, do you think that Congress is going beyond what the Constitution allows in wanting to expel their own members for objecting to the outcome of the Electoral College votes? Absolutely they are, and this has been going on for a long time. I have referred to our two United States Senators over the course of many years here in Virginia, Mark Warner and Tim Kaine, as domestic enemies. Uh, not because they're physically threatening people in the United States of America, but because the things they're doing are against the Constitution. They took an oath to uphold the Constitution, which I believe they have violated in the various things they voted for and laws that they have passed. So this is, this is a, a major problem. And I see the constitutional issue here as a matter of speech and also a matter of assembly. Uh, people are being pilloried, uh, either high-profile people like elected officials, there are police officers and individual citizens who are losing their jobs, who are losing their livelihoods, who are getting doxxed and attacked online simply because they assembled in Washington, D.C. and were part of this rally. Uh, that's totally outrageous, and yet it's going on all around us. There is a call uh, by our local daily newspaper here in Charlottesville for our congressman to be censured, Bob Good, because Bob Good uh, followed his constitutional duty and decided to challenge uh, the electors in some of the states based on his own research. And they're going after him for that. You know, this is really beyond outrageous. It's so dangerous because we see what happens when they get a hold of the power, they use it punitively, and they do not regard the Constitution as, as a guide. They don't re regard the Constitution as a restraint on their power. They use it when it's convenient for them, and when it's not convenient for them, they just disregard it and make some other claim. And what you're saying now brings us to another part of the discussion, which has to do with the private sector. You talked about people who are losing their jobs and being doxxed and being outed and being canceled in the private sector, which is not specifically covered by the First Amendment. Corporate giants like Facebook and Twitter and Amazon and others have been trying to silence the voices of the right by removing them and banning them from their platforms. Rob, it seems like a big war is building with big tech. It's been brewing for some time, but it 
It really reached ahead over the last few months when sites like Twitter and Facebook began to silence the voice of conservatives, and they even removed them from their sites. First, Facebook suspended Trump for at least the rest of his presidency. CEO Mark Zuckerberg said Trump wanted to use his account to undermine a peaceful transition of power and that this risked inciting more violence. What rubbish! Twitter went so far as to cancel the entire account of the President of the United States completely and permanently, with its 88 million followers. They said it was because, quote, the risk of further incitement of violence, unquote. More rubbish. As a result, Twitter, which is a public company, lost $5 billion, 12%, in its market value in a matter of days. And then Amazon canceled Parler, just took it off its platform. Parler was, and hopefully will be again, a free speech forum. So CNN is now trying to pressure the cable companies to cancel Newsmax, and no doubt others will follow. So it seems as though these huge corporations are making serious market decisions based on their ideology. That strikes me as very bad for business, but they don't seem to care and they're not done. Rob, what do you think this developing war is going to look like as we go forward? This strikes me as perhaps the most troubling because uh, these companies are willing to lose billions and billions of dollars uh, because they want to maintain control over the discourse in America. So, so we're in a very dangerous time. You know, I was watching all this that was going on with Parler and, uh, and thinking they wouldn't be able to get away with it. And sure enough, they did. It came from the App Store and Apple. It came from uh, Amazon. It came from Google. And uh, they're taking the app out of their App Store for the Android devices. And then Amazon pulling the plug on the hosting. I think the lesson here for people on the right, and I'm very sad to have to say this, is that we're going to need a completely parallel economy that is not beholden to, the, to these big players. So we're going to have to have our own banking system, a conservative-owned and run banking system, so they don't cut us off of, of access to money and, and credit. Uh, we're going to have to have our own social media that is not beholden to uh, the App Store. In fact, we're going to need our own devices. Now, this is really interesting. I was having this discussion with my wife recently, just before what happened with Parler, and uh, she was talking about the need for another device. And I said, it's very hard to develop a new operating system. We have Android and iOS. Those are the big players. Windows tried a few years ago. That's Microsoft. And they couldn't get the Windows phone off the ground because people need to have a reason to switch. Well, within two days of having that conversation, now we have a reason to switch. If I could ditch, and I, I'm sorry to say, because I've been using Apple for a long time, and Macintosh computers and iPhones and, and iOS, iPads, but I'm getting sick of their politics, and I don't want to support them. So sure enough, there's another platform called Gab, which is dedicated to free speech, and apparently Gab is developing their own phone. Uh, this is a phone that would reportedly run their own operating system, and allow us to have access to the apps that were being choked off by Apple and Google. So I'm sorry to say that we have to go this way, but it appears to me they're not going to be playing fair on the left. And unless we, and until we develop a totally alternate infrastructure 
for communications and economics that we're going to be at a disadvantage. You know, that's, that's very interesting. And the idea of a parallel platform uh, for everything, for a phone, for communication, for free speech, this is, this is enormous. It's a huge undertaking. It's like having an alternate reality. And to create that means that you really have to go into every area of life, not just technology, but areas like transportation, education, the economy, and so much more. And I doubt that something like that would be built in China because we know better now, having learned the hard way. What we're talking about here is the splitting of America, splitting on the basis of political thinking, political ideology. This is nothing that the conservative right wants, but the left seems determined to limit our freedoms, the ones that drive us, to the extent that we have only the choice to give in to their tyranny or strike out in a bold new direction. Now, there's a lot more to talk about. We've only gotten started. So right after the break, we're gonna come right back and keep the conversation going. Well, my fellow Americans, how did you feel watching footage on the news of domestic terrorists looting our stores and burning our cities down? Uh, you were probably disgusted and angry as much as I was. It's disturbing what's going on. Well, you'd be shocked to know that your shopping habits are supporting these extremists. Companies like Amazon, Nike, Disney, FedEx, it's an endless list. And they've been supporting these radical groups. Let's stop supporting companies that fund these extremist groups. We can all do our part. Visit shoptotheright.com and you'll find businesses in a nationwide database and companies that are aligned with our American values. Visit shoptotheright.com and let's all make a difference. My fellow Americans, our mission here at AmericaOutloud.com is clear. We're here to defend our founding values and principles at a moment when they are under unprecedented assault. And to cover the news objectively and offer intelligent commentary on the challenges we face as a nation. You can tune in and join our family of listeners 24-7 on this vital crusade. Our apps are on Apple, Android, or Alexa. Find us on iHeartRadio or our world-class media player. It is a fight for the soul of humanity. America Out Loud Talk Radio is the voice of liberty and justice for all. We were talking about how far we have come down the road from where this country began. We started out as a democratic republic. That was more than 240 years ago. Benjamin Franklin said, quote, a republic, ma'am, if you can keep it, unquote. And here we are, wondering whether we have already lost it. Rob, your idea of creating an alternate world of communications in order to hold on to the freedoms guaranteed by our Constitution, the ones the Democrats are systematically destroying, that idea is huge. And the task that will be necessary to make it happen seem almost 
insurmountable. Well, it, it does in a way, but if you look at Gab, they've already got their platform up and running. There's one called Telegram uh, that I started using now for communication that I, I'm trying to wean myself off of Facebook and uh, communicate. I see Apple being sued to, to ban Telegram off the App Store because they found out conservatives have gone there. So we really need to get this infrastructure together. Now, I think Gab is a very good start, and if he truly has developed a prototype phone. I've seen a picture of it, but I haven't seen it in operation. You know, it's going to take a while. It's kind of like going way back about 10 or 15 years, whenever anyone just joined onto Facebook. And it was kind of like an echo chamber. There weren't a lot of people there. And then millions and millions and tens of millions of people. And so we started getting a lot of traction. But now I see people leaving that platform. They're going to other places. And yeah, it's going to start out a little slow because everyone has to find each other. And then, I mean, that, that's one area, that's communications, but what about transportation? You know, if we have people who are controlling the transportation, our ability to travel based on maybe whether or not we got a vaccine that some people find dangerous or, or some other social credit score, do we have to have a conservative-run airline? I mean, it's looking to me like we're going to have to parallel food distribution and availability as well as communication and economics and uh, travel, and I'm probably just scratching the surface here. I think you are. I don't know if you remember, I bet you do, that when Obama was president way back um, in, in some of the earlier days, he wrote an executive order that gave him the ability to take over all of our supply chains and control of things like water and food and medicine and and transportation and everything that relates to serving the American people with the things that they need. And he had the ability through this executive order to do this through his secretaries, the secretary of industry or the secretary of finance or the secretary, you know, whatever it is. Uh, and that gave the president a huge amount of power, and it didn't even have to be in a in a case where there was a state of national emergency. That was also in that executive order. So what you're suggesting is a creation of a of a, essentially a parallel universe in the United States, and it would be have to be something that that could avoid the the ramifications of having the president bear down on this and take control of it and that's a possibility because of what obama set up so this is this is where the 17th amendment comes in and and i'm not sure we're ever going to get past what happened with the 17th amendment but when we had direct election of senators it was the what they called these united states of america we're looking now at a monolith that is controlled by a federal government instead of the federalist system that was set up where the states are sovereign and the federal government was supposed to have very little power. So outside of, of flipping back and, and repealing the 17th Amendment, which I don't think would happen, I think what Colonel Allen West suggested maybe two or three weeks ago as he was watching a lot of this is that we're going to need to have within the United States of America an affiliation of constitutional law-abiding states who make compacts with themselves. I think if they're physically contiguous, that would be helpful as well. But they, you're going to need to have governors with a spine of steel who are willing to stand together and make this compact. And then I think, as Americans, we self-select. Do we want to live in a place that is governed by a, the, the heavy hand 
of a, of a federal government that should never be so powerful? Or do we want to go to a state uh, that is living under the Ninth and Tenth Amendment and exercising its rights uh, therein, and that will be abiding by the Constitution? So if that ever happens, or maybe even if it looks like it's going to happen, you know, that may be a time for a lot of us to decide and vote with our feet. Hey, here's where I want to live. And sadly, that we're going to have to self-segregate along political lines. It's not that the conservatives can't live with liberals and progressives among them. It's the other way around. The reason we're in this position, Alana, is because for years and years and years, we play defense or we assume that the other people would just let us be and that we just have different ways of looking at things. I think recent events have shown us that was a false view of the world, unfortunately, a naive view, and now we have to take action. I agree with you. You know, Kurt Schlichter wrote a series of books on what would happen in the, it's fiction, of course, but what would happen in the United States if we actually had a civil war and split. And he had uh, the liberals on the left coast and on the east coast and uh, in some states in the middle, and they were called the People's Republic of North America. The United States of America were the red states, and they were focused in the center of the country. So these books are really an eye-opener as to what could happen if we really have a split, a, a civil war, in fact. Do you think that is where we're going? I don't see how we continue on the path we're on right now. I'm not sure that it turns into a hot war with actual military. I do think there are going to be uh, smaller groups of people, either on offense or on defense, and, and things could get hot that way. But I do think, uh, for example, in the state of Texas, uh, they have something called the Texas Nationalist Movement, headed up by a guy called Daniel Miller. I've interviewed him over the course of a number of years, and they're looking to secede from the union and become an independent nation of Texas under the Texas Constitution. Now, if that happened, and I'm not necessarily saying that would be a good idea, although I'm not sure about that, it might be what we need right now. But if that happened, I think this giant sucking sound that Ross Perot talked about years and years ago when he was running for president, not in this instance, but I think you'd have a giant sucking sound of freedom-loving individuals who said, I want to go to this place, and I think you would have the self-deportation of uh, social progressives and cultural Marxists who would say, we can't stand living here, we want to get out. And so, you know, again, if we were back to the the pre-17th Amendment America, where the states had much more power, I think we would have that sort of freedom right now to move to a state that is more conservative, or if you wanted to be in a totalitarian society, one that's more progressive. You know, it's more than just Texas, Rob. It's also the heartland, all the way from Ohio through the Midwest, Iowa, Nebraska, Oklahoma, forget Colorado, North and South Dakota, Montana, and so forth. And these states could theoretically secede from the Union and become the new United States of America. And the rest of the country, the left coast and the right coast, the blue states, in other words, they would be something else. The socialist states of America, for example. The U.S. Constitution, as it stands, would become the roadmap for the new United States of America. 
the others, the socialists, whatever, may or may not maintain the Constitution as their guide. But as crazy or logical as this sounds, depending on your point of view, I don't think it would happen without our actually coming to blows and having a civil war. You know, we've reached a point where this possibility is not so far-fetched anymore. I, I know families that are breaking up, including mine. I was brought up as a, as a Democrat, and my, my, you know, my siblings barely talk to me now. They don't understand where I went wrong. But I understand that, you know, in my view, they went wrong. I'm ready to talk to them. I'm ready to discuss issues. They won't discuss them with me. They'd rather call names. And so we barely talk, and it's very, very sad. And in fact, before the election, one of my siblings said to me, you know, I don't think we should be talking right now because I get so upset with your point of view. And so I was asked not to call. That's... Aside from being too bad, I mean, it, it's, it's, it, it's breaking families apart. And I, I honestly can't understand why this is a good thing. Yeah, this is really tragic. And I think it comes, again, almost exclusively from the left. I have a lot of parents and grandparents who contact me telling me similar stories to what you told me about your siblings, but this with their children. The children have been brainwashed and indoctrinated in government schools to uh, hate America and to hate people that love America. And so they're turning on their own parents. They won't talk to them or they, they're derisive towards them in their speech. There's no reason for that. You know, the, the rule should be, the polite rule should be, uh, let's just set these things aside and let's just be together. Hey, if we're a family, if we're friends, we don't have to center our lives on the politics of the day. Uh, we should be able to get past that and just be around each other. You know, when I was growing up and we had a big family, a big Italian family uh, getting together on all the holidays, I, I think most people were probably fairly conservative, but that just wasn't the topic of conversation uh, either way. And I think it was out of respect for everybody who was there. And, and I think, that, again, this is a problem of the left whose small g God is government and so that has to be central to every single conversation. You know, quite frankly, I, I had some uh, family members from my wife's side of the family who used to do this at every single uh, holiday meal. And I finally just told them to stop doing it. And it caused a riff in the family for a number <laughs> of years. This was quite some time ago. Uh, but, but I just couldn't stand listening to them anymore. And I finally just told them, and, and, and you know, this is just not appropriate, but they couldn't let go of it. You know, it's interesting. I, I lived for many years in Israel, and Israel is like a, a, a small mirror image of the United States. It's very interesting. And I can remember, this was a while ago, and I can remember that uh, one, one Saturday, which is Shabbat in Israel, and everybody stays home, it's the Sabbath, and it's quiet, and so forth. Uh, and we, I, we went to visit some friends, and they had some friends over, and we were all kind of a group of friends, and we were talking politics. And the other people in this room were all on the liberal side of the thing, and we were more conservative. And we had a political discussion. It didn't get angry, but it did get loud. And a neighbor from upstairs started banging on the floor with a broomstick, I guess, <laughs> to tell us to pipe down. But the point is that we 
had this conversation. It was animated. It was loud. But then afterwards, we all went out for dinner, you know, and we were still friends. And we used to be able to do that here. And we can't anymore. And how sad is that? It's not just that families are breaking apart and they won't talk to each other. But even if they come together, they can't talk reasonably about issues. You know, I feel that if we could do that, we could actually learn something from each other. But you've got to have that conversation, and that doesn't take place anymore. It's, it just doesn't happen. And it's the left that won't talk to the right. And I think that is really worse than sad. Yeah, it's exactly the case. You know, in, in my program that I broadcast on terrestrial radio here daily out of Charlottesville, Virginia, you know, I, I have over the years invited people with opposing points of view or different points of view than my than my own or than my typical audience member because I find it interesting and I want my audience to hear people in their own words. In other words, I don't want to have to be the one that represents the point of view of a local Democrat city councilor or a board of supervisor member or some member of our uh, General Assembly, a House of Delegates. I want them to come and tell people in their own voice. And so whenever they say yes, they're welcome. Uh, there is a great reluctance to come on the program and, and sit down and have a conversation like this. But over the course of 14 years that I've been on the air, it's been my policy to always welcome people with a different point of view. And even if people don't like it, and sometimes they get very agitated. For example, the other day we had somebody on locally who obviously was in the Black Lives Matter camp and was talking, you know, for the better part of an hour about white supremacy. But I didn't argue with her. And what I told my listening audience when when she was done and they said, well, gosh, you know, we were so mad we couldn't listen too much. I said, but I want you to hear her in her own words. I want you to know what she's thinking. There's value in that. And, and by the way, in the course of the hour conversation that we had, there were two or three or maybe even four items that we totally agreed on as far as the way local government was being run. So it's not like we're never going to find a course uh, of agreement when we're talking with people uh, on the other side of the aisle, but you have to be willing to have the conversations. And, and quite frankly, I don't see people on the left affording that same opportunity to people on the right. You know, what, what I think we have lost is the art of conversation. We, we, can't, we talk at each other. We don't talk to each other. We don't allow ourselves. Well, I'm, I'm talking mostly about the left because I don't think it's so true on the right. But we don't allow ourselves to have the civil conversation that enables us to understand the other side. We, we tell people our point of view, but we don't reach out to understand the other point of view. And sometimes it's very hard because the sides are now so polarized. You know, the, the, the left thinks that Donald Trump was a, a terrible human being, a, you know, coarse and, and un, unpolished, and, and, and there are all kinds of, of adjectives that they use to describe him that I wouldn't use right now. But the point is that they're not willing to give him a break. And if we supported him, they're not willing to give us a break either. And that's, I think, something that is very, very sad and difficult to really come to terms with because I don't know how you come to terms with the fact that somebody else on the other side whom you want to talk to won't talk to you. And they want to eradicate us. And that's the problem that, that it's, you know, it, it, they won't talk to us. 
And not only that, they want to stop us from talking by, uh, you know, eradicating our platforms or eradicating our availability uh, to speak freely in, in the public. And so we, we have, uh, again, a double standard here. And the question is, how long are conservative, uh, right-minded people, even libertarians, uh, who generally are live and let live, you know, how long do you just stand there and take this before you decide that, you know, if you uh, continue to be silent about this issue or if you give in and capitulate as we've done for years or just accept it, that we will no longer uh, possess any of our rights. I mean, that's where we're heading right now. And that is exactly what this show was intended to be about today because I am very concerned, and I know you are too, that our rights are disappearing at an enormously fast rate. And we can expect this rate to accelerate with the new administration. In the meantime, we're up against a break. So we'll pause here, but don't go away. This conversation is far from over and it's going to get a lot more interesting. So stay tuned, we'll be right back. Think back to the last time you felt healthy and energized. The best times of our lives occur when we're at the peak of our health, sleeping better, full of energy and focus. We know that fades with age, and you might be feeling the effects of aging as low energy and poor sleep. But it doesn't have to be that way. There haven't been any nutrition systems designed to rejuvenate our bodies as we get older until now. Healthy Cell Pro is the only multinutrient system that impacts the building block of your body, the cell. Created by anti-aging expert and Nobel Prize nominee, Dr. Vincent Giampapa, award-winning Healthy Cell Pro cuts through the complexity of nutrition supplements by simply giving you the purest ingredients, filling dietary gaps to nourish your cells and enhance your quality of life for optimal performance. Visit HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for an exclusive discount or call 844-869-9958. Welcome back to the Friedman Report. I'm Alana Friedman and I'm here with Rob Schilling and we're talking about the state of America today. It's not pretty. On Wednesday, January 20th, Joe Biden was sworn in as the 46th president of the United States. For some Americans, it was a day for celebration because their guy won. But for other Americans, and possibly for most Americans, this day was something else. It was a dark premonition of an America in decline. America foregoing democracy and opting for something else, something much worse a kind of tyranny that we shouldn't ever want. The theme of Biden's inauguration was America United, even though America is far from united and we're suffering from divisions that are so deep that they're tearing our country apart. Biden focused on what he called a new national journey and he announced that the Biden administration will, quote, restore the soul of America. In his speech on Wednesday, he said, and I quote, Today, we celebrate the triumph, not of a candidate, but a cause, democracy. The will of the people has been heard. And at this hour, my friends, democracy has prevailed, unquote. Rob, I'm sure you have some thoughts about this. 
Is this magical unification of the country something real? Did democracy really prevail? Was the will of the people really heard? Or did Biden just gloss over one of the worst scandals in American history? Are Biden's words even close to any kind of reality? What do you think, Rob? Ilana, I think he's living in an alternate reality, and his idea of unity is everybody getting in, giving in, and agreeing with him. If you don't, and it's been shown over the past several weeks, it's been highlighted and punctuated, that if you don't agree with the leftists, whether it's uh, in politics or whether it's in social media or social views, that you will be silenced or canceled. So it, it rings very hollow to me. What I wish he would have said was, we want to tolerate all points of view. We want to hear what people have to say. We welcome discussion. We welcome challenges to our points of view. And we realize that we should unite around the common principles, the core principles of the United States of America, as put forward by our founders and as uh, delineated in the Declaration of Independence and the Bill of Rights and the Constitution. He didn't say any of that. This phony call for unity means everybody do what we want you to do, Otherwise, we're going to come after you. At least that's the way I read it. It's interesting that he said that what we have is a win for democracy. It, it's not clear to me that he understands what democracy is all about because he doesn't seem to be supporting democratic principles like freedom of speech and all the other freedoms that our Constitution guarantees us. So if he doesn't understand about democracy, what does he mean when he's talking about democracy? He said, it's a victory, a triumph, not of a candidate, but a cause, democracy. How, how did democracy win when there is so much evidence that the entire electoral system was fraudulent, was corrupt? Well, uh, this is an empty suit spouting off platitudes and hoping, it, hoping that people won't notice what he just said. I mean, first <laughs> of all, a lot of times people say, Democracy is two wolves and a sheep deciding what's for lunch. You know, we live in a representative republic. And so when these various states uh, had their electoral votes challenged but never really adjudicated in a proper manner, um, I'm not sure that anybody feels that justice was done here. And whether you refer to it as a democracy or a republic, the point is, and you make it very well, that the whole system was corrupted by this mail-in voting, by last-minute rule changes, which were in violation of state laws and constitutions, and nothing was done about it. So how do we all come together under this uh, when so many of us still have questions? And you know and I know they will never appoint any investigations into this. It's going to be swept under the carpet as we move forward. And if we disagree, as people in my state have done, elected officials have disagreed with that, they're calling for their removal from elected office. I mean, it's totally outrageous. So, yeah, I, I agree with you, Robert. But the question now is, where do we go from here? How do we protect democracy in America? And how do we keep America from going down that slippery slope into the tyranny of socialism? What are our options? Well, I think the first thing is that we have to get really solid at the local and state level, particularly at the local level. You know, a, a number of states are, uh, are well governed, but there's a lot of them like Virginia, where I live, that are very poorly governed and, and dangerous places to be. But if you have a local elected sheriff, that in many ways is going to uh, be the firewall between 
outrageous local elected officials in the Constitution. So here, if I walked into a store and didn't have a mask on, theoretically, I could be thrown in jail for a year and fined $2,500 while they're letting actual criminals out of jail on the pretense that it's too dangerous for them to be there because of COVID. Now, if we had a sheriff here in Albemarle County, where I live in Central Virginia, who said, I'm not enforcing that, I wouldn't have a lot to worry about. Unfortunately, we don't have a sheriff like that. But one county away from us in Greene County, uh, Constitutional Sheriff Steve Smith has said, I'm not going to go along with any of these. I'm not going to be enforcing them because I don't consider them to be constitutional. So this is really where the rubber meets the road. And the people that are representing us, the people that we elect, the people that we work for to get them into public office, we have to be very careful about where they stand on these issues and then support the people who are going to stand by the Constitution and constitutional principles. You know, if you look at the numbers that we believe were the numbers in the election itself, let's say 74 million people who voted for, for Trump, what happens to them and what do they do? I mean, we talk about at the local level, I get that, and I think that's right. We have to build from the local level, but we have to do more than that. I live in a, in a place which is roughly, it's, it's a Republican district, but it has a big city in it. And the big city is Democrat. And therefore, we have a Democrat congresswoman who does not represent most of the district geographically. This is how do we, who are presumably the majority of American adults, how do we deal with the fact that our country is really working against us, which is to say our government in Washington is working against us. We now have a Congress, which is Democrat, a Senate, which is barely Democrat, but still they have the deciding vote. And we have a president who's a Democrat. What do we do? Well, first of all, we better, uh, we better put on our seatbelts because the, the ride ahead is going to be wild. And we saw it here in Virginia, and I'm sure in other states, the last election cycle, the Democrats basically took control of executive and both houses and uh, we saw that they were completely unchecked and unbridled in their legislative agenda, just crazy radical things that would never even have been discussed in previous years, although I'm sure there were people that wanted these things to happen, have been passed. And I anticipate that we're gonna see the exact same thing happening on a national level. What is it that they have to lose? They know they have the power and what the Republicans should have done under the president's first two years, but didn't have the guts the Democrats will do now on their side, which is anything they want to do, they have the power to pass it. And I believe they're going to do that. You know, it's laughable when people like your congresswoman or the one that um, that represents not me because I have a good one, but one that's adjacent to us in the Richmond area is that they swear an oath to the Constitution and they have they must be crossing their fingers behind their back. They have no intention of upholding the Constitution. I believe most of these people do not even have an education that included constitutional principles. In other words, they don't even understand what they're swearing to. That's dangerous times in America. And this is something that we have, uh, you know, seen more and more. Our children are not being educated. They're not getting an education in the history of this country. They're not getting an education in governance. They don't take civics. They don't take any of the courses that would prepare them to be useful citizens in a democratic society. 
So we're a homeschool family and I don't send my kids to government schools. And, you know, it, it, it's a sacrifice for us. It's well worth every penny that it costs us. My wife has a PhD in education and could be working somewhere as a principal, making well into six figures. But we have uh, foregone that income over all of these years because it was more important to us to get our kids and keep them out of these dangerous places known as government schools. Our local government school here in Albemarle County has uh, uh, instituted a class that's teaching that the Constitution is a fundamentally racist document. Oh if you're gosh. teaching the next generation of children to hate their country like that and that it's founded on racism, it's no wonder how they're going to vote when they become 18 years old or maybe 16 because that's another thing the Democrats want to do is lower the voting age to 16. So parents need to take responsibility. They need to wake up and wise up and realize that these places are poisoning their kids' minds and get them out at any cost. You know, you raise some very interesting questions there because the education of our children has become such a liability for this country, for this democratic republic. There's a warning out there for us that we are defining the future of this nation by refusing to take responsibility for the education of our children. You know, I think for many years, a lot of people in some ways rightfully assumed that everything was okay in schools. My education in Southern California years ago was okay. It wasn't great, but I wasn't being mind poisoned. But I think along the way, parents just kind of tuned out and wanted to pretend that these things weren't going on in the government schools. And if they just tuned out enough, then everything seemed to be okay. But what happened when the kids grew up is that they started voting for Democrats and voting against American principles. I know a number of parents who are just despondent over what's happened to their kids in K-12 or going into college when they thought that they had grounded them well in American studies and what America is all about. They come out of four years of college and all of a sudden they're a totally different person. So we have to take this responsibility and we have to realize that, uh, that we're, we're not doing any favors to our family, to our children, or to our society and our country by leaving our kids in places that are dangerous. I'm not saying every single school, but I'm saying by and large, the government education system has been totally taken over and corrupted by the left to use for their own means. So we have to find other ways. My great concern is now that the Democrats are in control, they're going to start making it more and more difficult for homeschoolers. They're gonna start cracking down on private schools, particularly private religious schools, and, uh, and get themselves insinuated into the policy making of these institutions and who can qualify to go there. I think it's just one step away because they know that we've wised up to their game. And with the pandemic and all of the school closings, a lot of parents have found out their kids are much better people when they're out of these schools and at home. That's very interesting. I, I, I don't have young children anymore. My kids are all grown up, but I can see what's happening in their families. Their kids are actually being brainwashed in spite of what they get at home. And that's very disturbing. You know, I read something today that was in the Daily Caller on Inauguration Day. It was a report that President Joe Biden will order the Justice Department to review a Trump administration rule. It banned an Obama-era practice in which prosecutors would issue settlement agreements that allowed the defendants to pay third-party settlements to outside special interests instead of to the victims of the crime. 
Trump stopped that. And according to this article, Biden seems to be ready to reinstate it. The Republicans tried to outlaw the practice in 2017, and they had a bill called Stop Settlement Slush Funds, <laughs> but it never became law. So, you know, we're fighting a battle on many fronts. It's not just education. That's part of it. It's also corruption in government by government officials who we elect, who we put in office. And so this is the beginning of something that is very dark, I think, something very threatening to our American way of life. It certainly is, Alana. And, and this is where I really line myself up with the libertarians uh, in the, looking to reduce the size of government. Uh, you know, they often say uh, 50% or more because it's such a, a huge monolith and it's impossible to track all of these things. What you've just brought up is very concerning and disconcerting because of taking money that should be going to one place and directing it to social justice groups that, again, are working against America and Americans. I can just well imagine where this money is going to go, and it should never be that way. So we, we've got to watch it, but the government is so large that you know the, there's probably a lot of this going on that we're not even aware of uh, behind the scenes because there's no one able to keep track of all of it. This is a beast that keeps feeding itself. And unless you have strong people who are willing to push back like President Trump was, it's not going to get any smaller. This president knows very well that the bigger the government is, the more votes he's going to get next time around, or probably he won't be running next time around. But he's building the future for Democrats. You know, I'm afraid that our president now is part of the problem. There is so much evidence that he and the organization that we called Biden Incorporated is corrupt down to the roots of this, this, this thing. And, and now he is president of the United States. And I am very much afraid that he is going to enlarge the swamp, make it deeper, make it broader. And the corruption is going to grow exponentially over the next four years. Well, I think you're right on target because he's never said a word about it. You know, if someone never says anything about something, it means it's either not important to them or not even on their radar screen. This guy is a product of the swamp, has benefited from it in 47 years of public service. I'm sure he's uh, he's gotten lots of perks. He likes it. He likes the prestige of it. He has never made a go of it in the private sector. He's never accomplished anything other than learning how to play the game. And he knows how to play it very well. It's totally impossible to imagine that he's going to do anything about it. And, and as we just referenced, I think he will do something to make the government bigger and bigger and bigger. He's talking about expanding Obamacare. I mean, what an atrocious abomination that law was. And yet he wants to make it bigger. I think that the things that are that are remaining uh, from the Trump legacy and the Trump years, uh, those are going to get steamrolled here in, in big government and a guy that breeds wealth and power from the swamp. I think that leads us to a position of great vulnerability, particularly in foreign policy. I, I'm sure that the adversaries of America, whether it's China, Iran, or any of the others, are looking at this guy, North Korea, and saying, He's going to be a pushover. He's a sucker. He doesn't know what's going on half the time around him. And that leads to a lot of uncertainty, even within the administration. You know, if, if he's not aware of what's happening or can't make good decisions, then there becomes a, a power vacuum. I think it's incredibly dangerous for the United States of America. And I really don't believe he's going to make it through four years. I, I'd be surprised if he made it through, too. 
Rob, this conversation could go on for hours, I think, and we've barely scratched the surface. Thank you very, very much for joining me. It's been a pleasure, and uh, I hope you'll come back. Thanks, Alana. Really appreciate it. So this is the end of the Friedman Report for today. Thank you for joining us. You've been listening to the news magazine on the America Out Loud Network. I'm Alana Friedman, and my guest this week was Rob Schilling. This has been the Friedman Report.